Welcome to Victory Church Winchester, Virginia's weekly podcast. Our desire is that you will find Victory a place to call home. Please take a moment to subscribe and share. Here is this week's message from our Sunday morning worship experience. All right, y'all ready to hear a word from God this morning? Somebody say amen. Well, you've come to the right place today. I want you to turn in your Bible to the Gospel of St. John. The Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. I'm trying to help you get there. John chapter 21, the very last chapter of this book, known as the Epilogue. It's a conclusion of the book of John. We're going to begin reading at verse 1. And as we do, I do want to remind you um, that you can follow along with this sermon um, f- with notes through our Victory Church app. So if you haven't downloaded that, you can follow along with, uh, with us there. We're going to read beginning at verse 1. This passage is entitled, Jesus and the Miraculous Catch of Fish. Verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. We've been in this collection of teaching uh, called Encounters, the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. How many enjoyed Pastor Rob Rainville as he brought the word last week, encountering Jesus on your Emmaus Road? I loved it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, this week, um, we're going to look at another post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. He appears again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It also happened this way. Uh, Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, And two other disciples were together. So that's seven out of the 11 disciples. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize It was Jesus. They didn't recognize him. And he called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? (laughs) I'm sure they said, No! Don't ask us that again. (laughs) No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the other side of the boat, and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's the writer of this gospel, St. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord! As soon as Simon heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment from around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the full net of fish, For they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire burning of coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back in the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them 
And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went out where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And he said to him, follow me. The title to my text this morning, the subject, the topic of this sermon is going to be Encountering Jesus, Friend of the Fallen. Would you join your hearts in prayer with me this morning? Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have, Lord, to be here today, to gather around in person and online and open up your word and to hear what you would have to say to us. Father, I pray that you would do what I cannot do, which is reveal truth, reveal Jesus in this moment. Father, we haven't come here just to hear a sermon, to sing a song, or attend a service, but we've come here to hear from you. Now, Father, we ask, Lord, that our hearts would be open and that we would be receptive, not to just be hearers, but to leave this place receiving what you have for us and being doers of your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen? This passage, as I said, is uh, known as the epilogue. It's the conclusion of the book of St. John, his account of the life of Jesus. And um, he's wrapping up this passage to tell the story of Peter. You know Peter, that disciple that was somewhat aggressive, impetuous, impulsive, That disciple that would say, Jesus, if everyone else denies you, I will never deny you. That same Peter that stepped out of the boat that walked on water as he kept his eyes on Jesus, but then began to sink and Jesus lifted him up. That same Peter that had the revelation that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That same Peter that would often get himself in trouble by saying things silly like, Lord, it's good that we're here when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and he was with Moses and Enoch and he said, it's good that we should be here. We should uh, build some tabernacles and just stay here for a while. And it's that same Peter that was in the garden with Jesus that Jesus told him, go over this way as I go forward and I'm going to pray. And Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. That same Peter that once the, those Romans that showed up with, uh, that, uh, with, the, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, once they showed up, uh, the same Peter c- took his sword out of his 
belt and cut off Malchus's ear. The same Peter that would then be scattered and flee with among the other disciples and that would, the scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 26, follow Jesus, but albeit from afar. This Peter, this Peter that on Resurrection Sunday, when the women came to the tomb and they reported to Peter and the disciples, the Lord Jesus also we find in Scripture in Corinthians, and we also find in the account of Matthew, actually appeared to Peter as well. The Lord Jesus had told his disciples, when we find ourselves in this passage, the Lord Jesus had already told his disciples, go into Galilee to a mountain and wait for me. I'm going to meet you there. But it's the same Peter and the same other disciples that grew impatient. See, they were stuck in a time of waiting. Have you ever been in a time of waiting? You just experience the resurrection. You just experience a spiritual breakthrough, a spiritual high. And then you've got to wait. Wait for the next thing that God is doing. Trust God for the next word that he's given to you. He's saying to his disciples, wait in Galilee and I will appear to you on a mountain there. We don't like to wait. And Peter, like myself, I feel like a man of action, a man of task-oriented leadership and wanting to get things done, grows impatient, and he tells the other guys that are with him, the other disciples, I'm going fishing. Disappointed with Jesus' delay. Waiting but doubting. Did the angel really say? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Did Jesus really instruct us to go? Will Jesus really set up his kingdom and will we be a part of it? We get discouraged. We get defeated. We get depressed when there is a delay. But from the promise to the possession, there's always the process. And it's in the process, it's in the waiting times that we have to stay faithful. We have to trust. We have to hold on to the promise. We have to hold on that Jesus is faithful and he will do what he said that he would do. He doesn't tell them when he's going to show up. He doesn't say, hey, I'm coming here on this day at this hour. And it's often true in my life and in your life. Jesus will give us a promise that we're holding on to. But here's the thing. He's never early and he's never late. But he's always on time. Why? Because he's working it out while you're trying to figure it out. He's got a plan when you can't see what his plan is. And I've come here today to remind some of you that though you might not see how it's working, God is working it out behind the scenes. You might not be able to feel it. You might not be able to sense it. You might not be able to see it. But God is working out his perfect plan for your life. You are in process. You are in a place of delay. A place of waiting. And these disciples, they became 
impatient and their schedule didn't fit God's schedule. Their plan didn't fit God's plan. So they said, I'm going back to my way of life. I'm going back to doing things the way that I want to do them. I've had enough of this waiting, and so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. In other words, they got outside of the will of God, and they said, not your will be done, my will be done. Isn't this familiar? We find this in the book of Genesis, where Adam and Eve were told not to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they said, Lord, not your will, but my will be done. And so this is where we come to today. We come to the place in which these disciples are outside of the will of God. I know that you can't relate, but there are times that we want to do things in our own strength, in our own power. We don't want to wait for the Lord. We want to do things our way. This is sort of an anticlimactic season in the life of these disciples. You just had the resurrection, and now you're waiting for the ascension of Jesus. And at the ascension, then there's 10 more days. There's the day of Pentecost. I feel like there's a season in the church where we go from Easter Sunday, we've got the special songs, we've got the big crowds, we've got the excitement and the energy and the anticipation. But then a week later, maybe two weeks later at this point, you know, the Easter outfits are put away. The candy eggs have been thrown away, right? The plastic eggs. The chocolate bunny has been eaten. And we settle in to life. You know, the bells and the whistles give way to the habitual, the routine, the perhaps mundane. This is the sort of situation that we find uh, these disciples in today. And they're waiting for Jesus. And while they're waiting... I want us to become aware of this dialogue that has taken place between Jesus and Peter because I believe it's instructional for us, not only in our waiting season, but in our willful disobedience. It's important for us to understand that encountering Jesus as the friend of the fallen is to understand that you are fallen, that I am fallen, that we are fallen. We have a tendency, we have a way of going about life where we become casual, we become complacent, we become inconsistent in the way in which we follow Jesus and in the way in which we live our life. With that in mind, I want us to take a few minutes together this morning and encounter a few, observ- a few of my observations from our text today. Encountering Jesus as the friend of the fallen is first and foremost considering that Peter's failure is prevalent. Peter's failure is prevalent. In other words, this is normal. This is common This is usual. How many of you ever failed miserably at anything in life? 
Maybe you wanted to get that education. You wanted to start a great business. Maybe you wanted to have that relationship or you wanted to have that marriage and it didn't work out and the business didn't come to fruition. Or maybe the relationships that you desired to have didn't actually happen the way in which you planned it. Maybe life is, you find yourself in life today feeling like a failure. I know I feel like a failure. I ride this tension constantly as a pastor because there are certain expectations that people have and there are certain expectations that I even have of myself and oftentimes I don't measure up to these expectations. What I want you to see this morning is that your failure, my failure, Peter's failure is common. It's prevalent. It's familiar to us all. And before we can see the fact that that Jesus is a friend of the fallen, we first need to admit that every one of us is fallen. Every one of us falls short. Every one of us fail. Every one of us don't measure up. Every one of us have moments in which we blow it. And we can see the restoration of Peter, and we have to understand first what happened to Peter and how he came to fall in the first place so that we can position ourselves that we don't fall in the future. See, failure is not an event so much as it is a process. There are steps that lead to failure. And first we find that Peter finds himself in the place of failure. In Matthew chapter 26, uh, verse 58, Peter is following, as I talked about earlier, he's following Jesus but at a distance. They've arrested Jesus. They've taken him before Caiaphas, before Pontius Pilate. He's waiting in the courtyard. He's following off from a distance. And these people are asking him, you sound like a Galilean. Aren't you one of his followers? And he says, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Somebody asked him again, are you a follower of Jesus? I, thought, I think I've seen you before. I'm not a follower of Jesus. And then the third time in fulfillment of prophecy, Jesus had told him that before the night would end, that he would deny the Lord three times. The little girl asked him as he's gathered around that fire, don't you know Jesus? Aren't you a follower of his? He says, he starts cussing and he says that he does not know Jesus. He's denied the Lord three times and he hears the rooster crow and he locks eyes with Jesus in that moment and he's overwhelmed and overcome with a sense of, of being a failure. That failure started off with following Jesus from a distance, and our failure begins the same way. Perhaps today you're not as close to the Lord as you should be. You're not as close to the Lord as you know that you used to be. You're not as close to the Lord. Maybe you're not picking up your Bible. Maybe you're not praying as you should. Maybe you're inconsistent and casual in the things of God and your attendance um, at church and your involvement in spiritual life, maybe you find yourself feeling like a failure today and you're following the Lord from a distance as well. But our failure is prevalent and it starts in the place of failure, but it also continues with the pain of failure. Verse 75 in chapter 26 of Matthew says that immediately when Peter denied the Lord the third time, it says he wept bitterly. He was overwhelmed 
with great grief and sorrow and feelings of failure, and he wept bitterly. So it is with every single child of God who decides to walk away from God. And it doesn't start out by you wanting to get away from the Lord, but you find yourself in the place of failure, following from a distance, and then you're overwhelmed with great sorrow, the peace that you once had, the joy that you once had, the sense of significance and purpose have, have, lost, have, have been lost in your life. And this is the price of failure. This is the cost of walking away from the Lord. You see, we find our place in a place of failure, but it costs us something. When you decide to walk away from the Lord, you lose your fellowship with the Lord, you, you, you lose peace with God, you lose joy, and you, you lose contentment. It comes at a very high price tag. See, the problem is um, our failure is an incorrect understanding of failure. We all want to be successful. But what if I told you that sometimes success is a form of failure? You can get that job. You can get that promotion. You can have that relationship. But what, at what cost did it take you to get to the place where you define this as successful in your life? Did you betray your convictions? Did you betray your morals and your principles? Did you manipulate things in order to get to where you are? You see, our failure is to rightly understand what it means to be successful. And I fear that perhaps some of us are defining success in the way that this world would define success. Maybe you look at success as popularity. Maybe you define success as having money. Maybe you define success as influence and having a house, a good house or a nice car or the right job, or the right relationship. Can I tell you that as a pastor, I get the privilege and the opportunity to spend time with people at the last moments of their life, and you know what they never say to me? Pastor Keith, I wish I had closed more deals. Pastor Keith, I wish I had made more money. Pastor Keith, I wish I had a bigger house. Pastor Keith, I wish I would have had a nicer car. No, they always say, Pastor Keith, I wish I had spent more time with my family. Pastor Keith, I wish I had walked more closely to the Lord. So what happens when your, when your success is a form of failure? Peter's failure is our failure. And oftentimes, when we walk away from the Lord, we get outside of his will, we find that we come to a place of failure. And here's what the Lord does in his grace and his mercy. I love it. He comes to them and he says, hey, guys, hey, friends, have you caught any fish? How many of y'all like to go fishing? Anybody got to go fishing? I love to go fishing. I booked a trip, actually, in May. I go out of Oregon Inlet. We go fishing um, out in the Gulf Stream, and we go, and me and my friends go catch fit. It's wonderful. But sometimes you'll come back from a trip, and you haven't caught anything. And here's what you don't want. Somebody asking you, have you caught fish, right? Well, you know, just, just wasn't our day. There was a big one that got away, though. There's always a big one that got away. And here's what the Lord does in our life. He comes and finds us in our place of failure. He comes when we fall and he wants to pick us up. 
But in order for him to pick us up, he has to show us that we've actually fallen, that we've actually failed. And this is the reason why he's speaking to them. And this is the way that he speaks to us today. He doesn't allow us just to be caught in our failure. He speaks to us in love, in our failure, so that we would see our shortcomings are actually an indication of what he wants to do to solve our failure, to solve our problem. So he says to them, look, you guys, you fished all night. You haven't caught anything. How's that working out for you? You're experiencing failure, but I've got a better plan for you. If you will recognize me, if you will hear me, if you will tell, do what I tell you to do, then I can take your failure and make it a success. I've not given up on you yet, but if you will admit your failure, Jesus will forgive you. Peter's failure is prevalent. It's our failure. It's your failure. Also, encountering Jesus as the friend, as our friend, is considering number two, Peter's, that Peter's foolishness was evident. Peter's foolishness was ev evident. Let me read this to you. Verse three again. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told him, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught what? Nothing. Our failure is evident in our foolishness. If you get into a place where you're walking outside of God's will, you're always going to do foolish things. And some of you have some family members, and some of you have experienced this maybe um, in, with, em with employers and employees. You know, you've experienced this with friends and they're outside of the will of God and they're making selfish decisions rather than spiritual decisions and they're getting caught up in themselves. They're getting caught up in their failure and evident in their failure is their foolishness. Our failure is evident in our choices, first and foremost. Secondly, it's evident in our companions. And finally, it's evident in the consequences. Let me break this down and unpack it for you. It's evidence in our choices in that the Lord called Peter. He said, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. He called him out of that lifestyle, but Peter is saying this. I'm going back into my former lifestyle. I'm going back to doing things the way that I want to do them. I'm going back to doing what I would want to do, and that is foolishness. That failure perpetuates more foolishness in our lives. It's a result of basing our decisions on selfish motives rather than spiritual ones. But here's the problem. His foolishness wasn't just evident in his choices, but it was also evident in his companions. Check this out. How many of you know that when someone starts acting foolishly, they also bring other people into their foolishness? Their failure brought their foolishness, and then their foolishness perpetuates it in the foolishness of others. Peter influenced others to enter into his foolishness. He, he influenced them. And the problem with getting outside of the will of God is you never do so by yourself. We see it in the church all the time. Somebody gets disgruntled. They don't like the way that things are being done. Rather than praying about it, come on, rather than having a discussion about it, rather than trusting God and putting it in God's hands, they become disgruntled. 
And when they become disgruntled, they begin to be foolish. And then when they get to be foolish by not doing things God's way, then they bring other people into their foolishness. So they get upset and they bring about somebody else in this conversation. And they, get, they say, you know what? I'm upset too. And then they both get upset and they maybe get somebody else upset. And next thing you know, they're outside of the will of God for their life. All because their foolishness has shown in that they brought other people into their foolishness. And finally, their foolishness was evident in their consequences. Peter and his friends fished all night long, but they didn't catch a single fish. This is the way that it is for you and I that are outside the will of God. You see, when Jesus showed up, come on, he began to speak to them. They began to realize who he was. Then things began to change. You see, you can't do something that has lasting value in your own strength in your own power, and in your own ability. You see, the only one that can make you really successful is the Lord himself. Successful is not defined in the size of your bank account. Success is not defined in the job or the relationship you have or any of these external things. Success is defined by being faithful to the Lord, being faithful to God. And if you'll admit your failure, Jesus will forgive you. If you acknowledge your foolishness, Jesus will restore you. Number three, encountering Jesus as a friend is, in, is, in, is considering that Peter's friend is present. This is what I love. Peter's friend is present. Even though Peter had fallen into sin, he hadn't gone too far that the Lord stopped loving him. Aren't you grateful today? Has anybody ever failed before? Has anybody ever done anything foolish before? Has anyone ever got outside the will of God and you found yourself in a place where Jesus has come and he's come and met you even in the midst of your foolishness, even in the midst of your failure because he's ready to forgive you and to restore you. He's a friend that's come to lift you up when you fall. Here's what Jesus did. Jesus found him. Jesus found these disciples. They were outside his will, but he went looking for them. After the denial, after the return to the old life, after a long night of failure, Jesus stepped on the scene, and in just a few minutes, he turned everything around. Everything begins to change when Jesus shows up. Peter and the other disciples, they were on the shore they recognize all of a sudden that it was the Lord. When we're in sin and going our own way, when we're doing our own things according to what we want in life, it's hard for us to see Jesus. He becomes unrecognizable. But when we will become aware that he's present, we'll begin to see him. We'll begin to look for him. Even in the place of our failure, we'll find that he's a friend that's present. He found them. He went looking for them. Number two, he fed them. Jesus was on the shore. He had already prepared. He had already made provision for those that had failed him. Everything that they tried to find out on the boat, they found already provided when they got on shore with Jesus. They found warmth. They found fellowship. They found food. Maybe today you've 
been toiling and you've been doing your own thing and you've been living your own way and you're apart from the Lord, you've been following a ways off and you know that you're not where you need to be with the Lord and everything that you've looked for out on the boat, everything that you've looked for out in this life has made you miserable. There's no peace or joy and you need to get back right with the Lord. Let me encourage you this morning, when you come back to Jesus, he still loves you and he has all the things that you lacked when you were away from him. Finally, we find that he found him, he fed him, and then Jesus freed him. Jesus freed these disciples. He begins to talk with Peter about what forgiveness looks like and what a restored life looks like. He freed him by recommissioning him for service. He not only forgave him, he restored him, now he recommissions for him. He says, recommissions him. He says, I'm not through with you yet. I've still got things I want to do for you. I've still got a plan for you. I've not given up on you yet. And he says, I want you to come and I want you to be with me. Come around this fire. Come around me. Come to this moment and hear from me. Listen to me. If you accept the invitation, Jesus will befriend you. Finally, encountering Jesus as the friend of the fallen is considering, finally, Peter's future his future was definite. So Peter's failure was prevalent. His foolishness was evident. His friend was present. And finally, his future was definite. Listen to this. A friend of Jesus lives to follow Jesus. What does that look like? Jesus explains to him in verse 18 as we close. The scripture says, Peter was hurt because... Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. You see, if we love the Lord, we're going to serve the Lord. Very truly, verse 18, I tell you that when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death in which Peter would glorify God. And he said to him, follow me. A friend of Jesus lives to follow Jesus through a life of sacrifice. It's written in the, histor in the historical record that Peter, leaving Rome, being in prison in Rome, but allowing to be released in Rome, walking outside of the city gates, sees a man approaching him. This man he recognizes as the Lord Jesus. And he says, Jesus, where you're going? Where are you going? Jesus says to him, I'm going to be crucified again. Peter overwhelmed with the life that he's lived, the restoration that the Lord did, the forgiveness that took place in his heart and his life. Said He remembered in that moment where Jesus said, you follow me. He turns around, he follows Jesus into Rome. The emperor there puts him to death and he says, I want to be hung upside down because I'm not worthy to be crucified in the way that Jesus was crucified. And so we find that a life of following Jesus is a life of sacrifice. Also, it's a life of service. Peter is told that his life from this moment would be for the purpose of, of glorifying God. It's a life of service. It's no longer a life for self, but everything and every person he interacts with, he's living his life to glorify God. Finally, it's a life of sacrifice. It's a life of service, and it's a life of surrender. 
the last thing Jesus does was give Peter this command, follow me. You hear that? It's not an option, not just an invitation. We have an opportunity to respond to the invitation, but it's a command. If you want your future to be secure, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to fulfill his plan for your life and to be his friend, it's going to require you to surrender. He says, follow me. And this is the first instruction that Jesus actually gave Peter. You find in Matthew chapter 4. He says, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. The last thing he says to him, hey, follow me. Here's what I love about that. Is that no matter what had happened, nothing changed Jesus' mind about Peter and the plans that he had for him. The same is true of you and I today, regardless of how far you may have fallen into a selfish life of sin, no matter how far that you followed the Lord from a distance, no matter how incomplete, no matter how complacent you became, no matter how inconsistent or casual you've become, the Lord hasn't changed his mind about you. Because Jesus is a friend to the fallen, you can look to him when you fall. I got a question for you, though, this morning. What does your future hold for you? The answer to that question depends all upon what you do right now and in this moment. Some of you might be working. You might be going through life. You might be pursuing success. You might be toiling, but Jesus is on the shore. He's in the distance, and he's calling. He's calling. Do you hear him calling today? He's come to find you in your falling. He's come to find you in your state of failure. He's come to find you in your place of not, not knowing peace and not knowing purpose, not knowing hope. He's come to find you, and he's calling out to you today. You don't have to be at distance with the Lord today. The good news is that he's ready to forgive you. If you find yourself as a failure this morning, he's ready to pick you up, to lift you up, to restore you, to forgive you, to recommission you. All over this room today, would you just stand up on your feet? And we're going to conclude in prayer. But I know... What I do know is that the good news is that Peter's friend, Jesus, is present. Your friend, Jesus, is present, even in this moment. He's not okay. He's not satisfied with you being stuck in failure. He wants to lift you up, to lift you out. He wants to take you by the hand so that you can follow him into your future. But what that's going to require of you is your response in this moment to receive his invitation. Receive his invitation today to be restored. With every head bowed and eyes closed all across this room, and even those that are praying online, considering what the Lord would have you to do in this moment, you've been living a life following from a distance. You've become cold to the things of God. Maybe... You've come to even, you even come to church, but you don't have that same passion, that same enthusiasm. You don't sense the Lord's presence near like you used to. Maybe you've gotten caught up in a habit 
Maybe you've been hanging around the wrong people. Maybe certain things have taken place in your life where you've prioritized yourself to the neglect of your relationship with God and the relationship that you are to have with your family members today. I want to tell you that Jesus comes. He comes and he looks for you because he wants to forgive you. He wants to restore you. He wants to free you. He wants to set you forward to the course that he has in your future. Today, all across this room, I know that the Lord has given me this word today for somebody. Maybe it's not for everybody. Maybe you have arrived and you know that you know that you know that you have a halo over your head and that you're perfect and that you have never failed the Lord. But for those of us that know the real deal and that can be honest with ourselves today, this pastor included, God, I've failed you. I've grown complacent. Maybe I'm not seeking you like I once did. And you know that the Lord wants more from you. Let this be a clear call to you from Jesus today. You're in your boat. He's on the shore. He's calling out to you today. Come, follow me. Follow me. Let me lead you into your future. All across this room with every head bowed and our eyes closed and people getting right with the Lord, confessing, admitting, acknowledging their need for a Savior, acknowledging their need for a friend, acknowledging their need for a new beginning all across this room. I want you to put your right hand over your heart today. This is a sacred moment. It's a special moment when we have people coming to know Jesus for the first time, recommitting their life to Jesus to follow him more closely. If that's your prayer, that's your heart's cry today and you're ready to respond to the voice of the Lord today, put your hand over your heart and I want each of you to repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I haven't been following you as closely as I should. I'm a failure because I've sinned, because I've gone my own way. But today, I hear you calling out to me, be forgiven, be restored. Let me take your hand into the future that I have for you. Lord Jesus, I'm reaching out my hand to you, asking you to restore me, forgive me of all my sins, Come into my heart. Be the leader of my life. I want to live for you. Thank you, Jesus, that today is a new beginning. Today is a new day. Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is the leader of my life. Jesus is my friend. I'm grateful, Lord, for forgiveness. I'm grateful, Lord, for eternal life. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Our vision is that you would experience Victory Church as a place to call home. We do this by encountering God through worship, embracing community through relationship, and expanding the kingdom of God through service. Find out more about Victory at victorywinchester.com.